Welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast today, and thank you for tuning in. My guest today is Kyle Camp. This is an unscripted episode. I first did this back in episode 263 with my friend Emery, and here we are again talking with Kyle, kind of with no agenda. Uh, had one question that came through from a listener who was new to Idaho and new to big game hunting. And honestly, this listener's question and his story reminded me of Kyle, and I made me think of Kyle, and I thought, man, let's hop on the podcast and not only talk about that listener question and Kyle's experience being a newer big game hunter and specifically newer to Idaho, uh, but while I had Kyle, I just wanted to ask him many other questions as well. So Kyle is one of these guys that I talk to on the regular and just thought it would be good to kind of have a discussion with him on the podcast. You may have heard of Kyle or even caught him on this podcast a few years ago, uh, and he is a clinical nutritionist. In addition to that, he also helps hunters specifically plan, prepare for, and train for backcountry hunting. So we do kick off this episode with some nutrition and training-related topics, but we then dive into some of what Kyle has learned over the past few years as a hunter and also answer that listener question as well. So kind of all over the board with this unscripted episode with Kyle, but I know there's something in here you will enjoy or benefit from. As always, guys, we really do thank you for tuning in. If you have anything for us, you can contact us directly by email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. If you're listening to the show and in the platform, you're able to leave a review. Doing that would help us tremendously. And if you haven't yet, just share the show with a friend. That also helped us greatly. So thank you guys for the time and spending it with us. Here's my discussion with Kyle. Kyle, dude, glad to uh, have you back on the podcast. It's uh, it doesn't feel like it's been two years, I think, since we first had John, but I think that's what it is, right? I think it is. I think the uh, if I remember right, I think the first year might have even been twenty eighteen. It may have been three. Yeah, goodness, time flies, man. It does. It's, uh, people probably you know a fair amount of number, a fair number of people listening may be familiar with you. Uh, And if you guys haven't heard that original episode with Kyle, that was episode 124, and the title was Food to Fuel Backcountry Performance. Uh, And even if you haven't heard from Kyle on our podcast, Kyle, you've you've made the rounds, man, on the podcast world. (laughs) I I have been, I mean, I I genuinely see those opportunities as just a like a huge blessing to be able to be on people's podcasts and consider that just a tremendous honor it is to be on there and that anyone would want to listen to it and you know not to not to fluff you up too much but i i tell people often that i i genuinely feel like i'm forever indebted to you and steve just for the open door initially three years ago and um so yeah it's been awesome to be on there and to be able to talk to so many different people over the last three years about nutrition and mountains and hunting and all of these different things so it's been it's been a <laughs> it's been a fun but kind of wild three years yeah is so if people aren't familiar i guess we better give some context of what that's about but when you had you on the past few years ago you were either just starting or thinking about starting uh basically to try and 
provide a resource and some information on nutrition and specifically for yes backcountry hunting but other types of endeavors right so maybe a big climbing effort or a big backpacking trip and really just trying to be strategic with fueling for those types of endeavors and uh, ended up starting Valley to Peak Nutrition. Um, and I don't want to speak for you, but essentially you help everyday guys and then you also do some like one-on-one consulting even with everyday nutrition and your your background and still to this day are a full-time clinical nutritionist. But uh, fill in the gaps of what I just mentioned there to let people know kind of who you are and what's been going on the last few years. Oh, you, you covered it pretty well. I mean, um, you know, going back to 2018 for the first time I was on here, Valley Peak was really never a thing. It started out because, you know, I knew I was going to be on the podcast with you guys and I wanted to have a, you know, kind of a web host domain email address in case guys had questions and wanted to email me. I didn't want to give my Gmail uh, simply because I wanted guys to feel confident that they were sending it to someone knowledgeable, not some guy in their, their mom's basement. <laughs> Please email internet expert at gmail.com. <laughs> right. Yeah. Arm, armchair quarterback at gmail.com. Yeah. So I, I originally, you know, bought the domain, I think for $12 and I just wanted the email address uh, and it kind of became what it is, which is exactly like you outlined. It's uh, either helping people prepare for or, you know, to engage in the mountains strategically with nutrition. And, you know, something I mention a lot is, you know, the whole objective is not to just go and survive a trip, but it's to enjoy it. And I think nutrition plays a big part in whether or not guys enjoy a trip or, or women uh, and whether or not they just survive a trip or whether or not they genuinely enjoy it because, you know, what you eat definitely matters. So yeah, there's, you know, one-on-one, you know, coaching, which I don't love that term, but it's, it's kind of what it is, just guiding people through a process. And that typically involves, you know, people who feel like for whatever reason, they're not quite ready to go in the mountains because of physical endurance or weight or whatever. So working with them over a series of months to get them to a place where they feel like they are more confident to go on a trip. And like I said, not just, not just survive, but to do well and to enjoy it. Yeah, that's cool, man. We, uh, you know, this is a, essentially an unscripted show, and I do have a ton of questions on the nutrition topic, but we're not going to spend all day talking about that. Um, but just to me, it's just always one of those things that I, I just have an interest in personally, right? So whether planning for something like the death hike, which is coming up soon, or just even in my day to day and trying to uh, keep an eye on a balanced, you know, healthy, and at the same time, allowing me to perform diet. Uh, I just have an interest in it. So just to hit on a few questions, and then we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other things, but things that came to mind to me, is there anything like in the last two to three years, you know, basically since you started Valley Peak that you've changed your thoughts on? Like, I don't want to say changed your philosophy on, but just things that maybe from working with clients now and customers and things like that, that you just, I don't want to say learned, but see differently now than three years ago? That's a, that's a great question. I think, you know, from a, from a science and nutrition based standpoint, not a lot has changed, right? Like, I mean, our understanding of nutrition and maybe how things work at a deeper level, kind of the nerdery behind it, the, you know, the 300 level class in college, like, I think we have a better understanding of how things work at a, 
you know, in the human body at a cellular level. But for the most part, we've had a decent understanding for a long time of kind of how nutrition works. So I wouldn't say anything has changed on that side. What has changed in a gigantic way is human behavior. Um, my understanding of human behavior and how that plays a role in compliancy, which is a very dry word, right? I mean, it's a very robotic kind of mechanical word, but you know, one thing that's changed that, that I've seen is, you know, someone's ability to be able to be consistent on any plan or program is pretty much the game changer that sets someone between uh, apart from being successful or not being successful. And part of what drives consistency is how well the plan is set up to what they like, you know, and, and built around their preferences and manipulating variables within an at rather than saying, here's what you need to go do, go do it. Right. There's a ton of explanation behind why, and there's a lot of um, flexibility provided to the person that they can do what they enjoy. So I think the thing that has definitely changed a lot is just sort of learning how each individual views this, like just taking a very individualized approach and trying to tailor things to the person rather than just giving this universal broad you know, go do this, it will work type of a thing. Hmm. What does it like practically what does that look like? Does that mean like you're working with a guy and he has a weight loss goal, but he still is like, I love pizza. And you're like, all right, we can figure out a way that you can lose weight and still eat pizza because that little bit of like, I don't want to say reward, but that little bit of like satisfaction that he gets from being able to still eat some things that he enjoys helps him be, uh, going back to that word compliant. Is that like a dumb practical example uh no it's it's a great example it's a it's kind of a general example so it could range anything from that like you know every tuesday night is or every friday night is movie and pizza night with my family that's something i just don't want to miss is it practical for me to hit the goals that i've got in mind and still do that absolutely we need to figure out how to do it i mean you can't put away an entire little caesars every friday and not change anything during the week and expect anything so something has to change but it doesn't mean that you've got to swing the pendulum to the other side where you know you're just setting up this unrealistic diet for yourself that you can't be consistent on so i think that's a good example it could also be hey i travel a ton for work what does that look like? Because if we go back three or four years ago, or even earlier in my career, where it was sort of giving these blanket meal plans, where which your dietitians are notorious for doing, and we've just learned aren't helpful to people. Yeah, if you follow it, you'll be successful, but you still don't know why you don't understand how nutrition works. So, you know, I think it helping people understand you know, you can be flexible even while traveling and then even diving deeper to that, right? Like there's all of these different um, sort of camps of either, uh, you know, low carb, high fat versus, you know, low fat, high carb, what's right. And teaching people, you know, you've got a ton of preference in there. If one of those is easier for you to stick to, then you will teach you, or we'll talk about how can you create something for yourself that follows more of a pattern of what you like versus me saying, Oh no, 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 no. You, you don't understand. You need to do this because science says this is what works. And at the end of the day, reality is it doesn't matter what science says works if a guy can't stick to it. So, you know, through these conversations that we have with people, we figure out how can we 
create a load of flexibility that still allows you to have some progress um, and not miss out on social stuff, right? Because the reality is, and this is kind of an unpopular truth in a world where like, it seems like you have to commit to one side fully or no other. Like we really struggled to see balance, but there's no good and bad food anywhere. There's only good and bad amounts of everything. So talking through that with people and sort of outlining what that looks like. And then also, you know, diving deep into the, you know, the why, why does it work that way? Well, you know, using a lot of logic rather than a ton of emotion is something we spend a lot of time on too in those weekly assessments when working one-on-one with someone. Mm, that's cool. When you were talking about like compliance and all of that, it made me think it's a book that you and I have both read is Atomic Habits. And I've seen that you've even given that to some of your like clients and things like that. And something outside the podcast that people may not know is you and I, Kyle, even though you haven't been on the podcast in two or three years, we talk a lot. We, we'd share workouts a lot, like from a distance, a lot of times we're on the same plane and bouncing stuff off of each other and things like that. And, you know, I've seen you be very disciplined and have good habits. Um, and that's a huge part of nutrition, right? Is just sticking to something, but deeper than just nutrition one thing i've noticed uh shoot even the last three months is that my ability to uh follow a plan in in my case it's like a self-induced plan i'm not on like a strict diet don't follow a specific protocol for me i just having done this for years i figure out what works for me and Sometimes I'm better at sticking to that ideal and sometimes I'm not. But aside from nutrition, one thing I've noticed is you can't like you can't isolate diet and your ability to follow any plan, protocol, what have you outside of other life factors, meaning like stress and rest and uh physical activity and all that stuff. So to me, when I hear of like compliance and diet, nutrition, that's one thing, but it's so, to me, it's so interconnected with like how the rest of your life is structured, right? So as we all know, the more stressed you are, the more tired you are, the more prone you are to eat junk. And that's like not surprising because all that's interconnected. So I'm not necessarily throwing out a question, but like talk about that because how do habits, how does the rest of your life structure and discipline outside of nutrition affect then your nutrition, if that makes sense? No, I think you, you, you summarized it great there. And one of the reasons, you know, I love that book is because it, it genuinely outlines like, you know, we talk so much about discipline and compliance. And like I said, those are just such cold words. I don't love them, but they're words people are familiar with. So they sort of describe it. But one of the reasons I love that book is he talks about, you know, a lot of people think what they lack is discipline. They don't lack discipline. They just lack a solid plan or, or a solid environment. Right. So, mm-hmm. and that could be as, 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 as basic as saying, you know, rather than setting a goal for yourself of, oh, I'm going to have, I'm going to have, you know, no ice cream after dinner. And then you've got two tubs of Ben and Jerry and the ice cream, rather than trying to muster up, you know, the strength to not have the ice cream, just don't buy it. 
right? So there's, when you talk about, you know, the disciplines and the habits, it's really more a matter of kind of looking at everything from the grand scheme of things, like your, your whole life, like you're talking about and setting up things or setting up strategies or whatever for success, right? Rather than trying to muster up the discipline, right? And, and that does go back into like what you were saying with stress, it can definitely affect it. And, you know, one of the, one of the big sort of um, ideas with stress or, or that floats around, it's popularized a lot on social media is if you have stress in your life, then it is inevitable that your weight is going to shoot up. And that's not true. What we know is, is that if you have stress in your life, it does affect the hormones involved with weight loss, but it's the behavior that causes the weight to shoot up. So like you were saying, the stress then would create, you know, maybe cravings would be greater. The hormones involved with fullness would be lower. The hormones involved with hunger would be higher. And it's the yielding to those cravings, excess calorie intake that creates the weight to go up. So if you can develop strategies, or maybe that's even working with someone for the accountability piece of things that causes you to control the behavior, then you can control the variables involved with whatever goals you've got associated with weight or performance or, you know, um, uh, training or what have you. Hmm. Yeah, that that piece on like your ice cream example is so true. I, I do think it it's some at some level we have like a limited uh, I don't want to say amount of or capacity of, but essentially a limited amount of or capacity of self discipline, right, and of willpower. And if you're always forcing yourself to use that and to tap into willpower, right, like I have to make this choice to not do something because I have the opportunity to do that thing. Like that's a, that's a struggle. That's a battle. But if you flat out, just remove the opportunity, you don't have to make that choice, right? Like you're not using willpower at that point. It's just not an option. Yeah. A hundred percent, you know, and it's the same with, even with exercise, like, you know, rather than saying I'm going to go to the gym six days a week for an hour, if that's one thing we talk about a lot too, is like, well, what's perfection rather than try striving for perfection, find, uh, find progress, right? Like do something that pushes the, the needle a little bit, change that 1% rather than trying to change the 99. Cause there's a huge difference between what's optimal and what's practical. So if you can commit to simply waking up and then putting your shoes on, like putting your running shoes by the door the evening before, just simply wake up and commit to putting your shoes on and then decide whether or not you want to go for the run. Right. But if you can create, if you, if you're up and you commit to going, or if you commit to putting your shoes on, you're likely not going to go back to bed. So it's not like this overwhelming feeling where you got to go say, I'm going to go run five miles, just wake up and commit to the small thing. And it's more likely you're going to engage in the, the next thing. And that's, uh, you know, it's another reason I love that book is he just gives such great practical advice for trying to make very small changes that are sustainable um, and allows people to achieve whatever type of progress it is that they're aiming for. And we often get like, you know, it's just like this, again, the pendulum of 100% all or nothing at all. And there's this space that exists in the middle called good enough. And if you could live there, you would be consistent and, you know, it's been my experience that the consistency piece, even if it's not like just this 
you know, on paper, spectacular plan, if it's a little bit better than what you were doing, that's far more likely to yield you uh, the type of results you want than if you were to do nothing at all or start out on a great plan, but burn out quick because the sustainability of it was just impractical. Mm. Yeah, that's so important. So important. Um, Hit on for you personally, I asked like what's changed two or three years ago in your philosophy and all that on nutrition uh, since we were just hinting at it, like the, the workout piece, the exercise piece. And I mentioned we've done a fair amount together, although virtually, <laughs> but followed the same plan, uh, mostly from the guys at Atomic Athlete. But um, you've mentioned things to me just, you know, in passing and offline that it it's different. Uh, what you've been doing is different than what you had done, right? So same question, like in the last two to three years, strictly from uh, an movements and workout type of um, frame of mind what have you learned or what what stands out to you yeah that's that's a great question I mean there's been a lot of you know quote-unquote bad things that have come out of the pandemic or whatever but having the gyms have had closed down and then starting to work out of my garage with you know the atomic athlete stuff and doing those with you has been maybe one of the best parts (laughs) about the pandemic because it's dramatically shifted my own perspective in what's needed, what the actual effective dose is um, for exercise to see progress. So, you know, a little bit of backstory um, for maybe those who aren't familiar, but, you know, I didn't grow up in shape at all. I grew up not knowing anything about nutrition at all. I lost 140 pounds whenever I was about 22 years old, which is what led to me being a dietitian. But doing that, I was in the gym, you know, five days a week for at least two or three hours at a time, you know, mixing between resistance training and cardio. And so because that's what yielded, you know, my 140 pound weight loss, I figured that's probably what I need to continue to do to maintain that 140 pound weight loss. Um, So I did that for years, for years and years and years and years. And then, uh, you know, we started doing this over the last couple of years, and I slowly learned that, you know, you can only progress as much as your body's able to recover. So actually reducing the volume and uh, how much I was doing caused a, a lot better muscle retention and way more of the results that I was wanting, as opposed to just sitting there spinning my wheels constantly for so many hours in the gym. So it's, it's dramatically shifted my mindset from trying to find like the minimum effective dose rather than just absolutely obliterating myself (laughs) in the gym to try to maintain the weight loss. And I think that that, um, I think that that's another thing that we, we get wrong. Like social media definitely perpetuates this of, you know, keep, keep hammering, right. And, and just run yourself into the ground and the tougher the workout, the more exhausted you are the better you're going to progress. And that just simply isn't true at a science level. That's way more likely to lead to overtraining under recovery and not making any progress. Instead, you'd be way better off for aiming for the minimal effective dose, right? Which automatically perpetuates this idea that I'm a slacker and that I'm not out there trying to challenge myself. And I definitely believe in developing mental strength and putting yourself in tough situations and doing those longer endurance type workouts from time to time. But the reality is that that's all you're ever doing. There's never any time to recover. 
And if there's no time to recover, there's, you simply won't progress at a, at a, at a fitness level. And you definitely won't progress in terms of like body composition changes, trying to add additional muscle and lose more fat, because that's what, you know, 99% of the people I talk to, whether they're in the Valley to Peak program or not, that's what they want. They want to either gain muscle while also trying to lose weight or to simply lose weight and maintain the muscle that they've got. And they're just out there for, you know, hours a day trying to do cardio to create this calorie burn. And there's so much more to the story than that. Yeah. So in the last couple of years, like to be more specific on elaborating what you do now versus what you used to do, what are some, what's either a specific program that you've done that uh, stands out to you or some of the specific movements, right? So the actual exercises and movements that have changed for you that you either enjoy or feel like you've received a massive benefit from that you just flat out didn't used to do as part of your call it old program. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like a, a, a walking billboard for atomic athlete, but I love, I mean, I've just, I've loved their stuff. Um, so a couple of things specifically like trying to give guys a deeper look at what that looks like is I've cut back way back on my cardio and found that, you know, my, my, my aerobic capacity, my ability to still do cardio at an effective level did not change at all, which is right. Like that's the goal. If you can do less while still getting the (laughs) the same benefit, uh, sign me up for it. So I would say that, you know, that's, that's number one. Um, and their programs do an excellent job of just sort of walking people at any level of fitness out and how that looks. Right. So it's a very laid out program. It's very structured. And I would say that the other thing that's changed in me is, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I was more into kind of the bodybuilding bro, you know, three sets of 10 chest buys, you know, just sort of the whole it's hitting different individual isolated muscle groups. And since I've gotten older, since I've had a son, since I've done more outdoors, I've become much more interested in kind of life overall fitness type of, of goals, more functional movements is a term that's thrown around a lot. And so they do a lot of stuff focused around that. So there will be a lot of sets of like, you know, weighted sandbag get-ups and Turkish uh, get-ups and all sorts of other different, more functional type of movements rather than the isolated exercises. So that's been good. The other thing that it incorporates a lot that I wasn't doing much with was a lot of mobility work, right? So rather than resting between sets, they'll have you work on mobility, whether it's, you know, foam rolling or whether it's uh, stability type of stuff or core work or whatever. So, you know, rather than sitting there wasting time, waiting for the minutes to go by, it's way more, it's, it's way better use of my time because now I'm working on mobility, which of course is equated to better mobility, <laughs> less mm-hmm. injury, more flexibility, better functional movements. So I, you know, I'm still, it still takes me about 60 minutes to complete the workout, but I'm doing something during those 60 minutes. It's not crazy intensity during all 60 of those minutes, but it's, it's just way more of a focused and better use of my time as opposed to exhausting myself for 45, 60 minutes on an elliptical, which by the way, is just mind numbingly boring. Um, and then going into the gym and lifting for another 45 minutes to an hour, this sort of puts it all in an hour of very focused and intentional progressive movements. And, um, I don't know, I just, I can't say enough about that format. Now uh, you obviously don't have to it's 
it, so this is th their program is structured like that, but you could easily take that same ideology and write your own programming if you needed to. But again, that's the other thing that I love about it is they structure it in a way that creates a progression. So, you know, each week builds on the week prior that's aimed to continually have your body guessing, which is another component of it. Right. I mean, I did this other, this other format of cardio and lifting for gosh, man, nine years or so. And so, you know, from a, from a biochemistry standpoint, your body gets used to that and it simply just isn't challenged by it anymore. And because Jake and those guys have the programming set up in a way that changes so often, my body is constantly guessing. So I'm definitely still feeling like I'm, you know, doing something. It's not like it's a hour of ease. It certainly isn't that, but it's just, it's laid out very intelligently and is, is just a great use of, of the hour that I have set aside to work out. Yeah. Cool. I, uh, a couple more. I, I didn't get you on the podcast to talk about like fitness and nutrition all the time, but I'm just so much stuff comes to mind. It's great. I think I, I think I should email Jake and tell him I'm going to need some sort of a payment compensation, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it truly is. It's just, I just have really enjoyed it. And, and honestly, now I genuinely sound like a plug for 25 bucks a month for them to write my programming five days a week for the entire month. Like that's, that's just really tough to beat. That's really tough to beat. Even if you're getting cheap McDonald's coffee, you could save 30 bucks a month and easily be able to afford to have someone write a very intelligently written program for you that you basically walk out and you execute, you know, either at your local gym, you could do it with sandbags, you could do it with whatever you've got at home. Um, it's awesome. But anyway, yeah, man, that's one thing, uh, just to kind of echo on that for me, I've, I've tried, I've done in the last 10 years, I've done so many different things, right? So I've done starting strength. I've done five by five. I've done CrossFit. I've done uh, atomic athlete. I've done mountain athlete. I like, I've done so many different things that, I feel like I have a good grasp on if I wanted to write my own program and sometimes I do like now's a good example. I'm training very specifically for the death hike and I know what I need to do to do that. Um, at the same time, if I only rely on myself to write the program, it's typically not strategic enough or progressive in nature enough like going back yeah. to what you were saying earlier, and just by nature, you always tend to go back to certain things that you enjoy, right? So yeah. I will, if I were writing my own program, I just tend to avoid things I don't want to do or maybe don't think to do. Um, whereas when you're following what someone else is telling you to do, like, and you hold yourself accountable to that, you just, you, you look at tomorrow's workout and you're like, oh gosh, I would never have, you know, chosen to write that down. Um, but it's there for a reason and it's structured and it's uh, strategic. And so, yeah, you just, you just, you submit yourself to that in a different way. So, um, yeah. I, I find and, uh, value in still following something. A hundred percent. And it's, it's to say you're, 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 you're a hundred percent, right? Like you tend to go to what you, what your knowledge base is. Right. But that can only get you so far. And it's even the same with nutrition. Like you could go on, on any website and Google and get a reasonable estimate of what your calories should be for weight loss, how that should be divided among the main nutrients. 
Um, but what happens when you hit a plateau or what if that doesn't work right out of the box? A lot of, you know, I under, I can appreciate wanting to save money, but what signing up for programs like Atomic Athlete or Mountain Tactical or whatever, what any of those are, or any nutrition coach on the face of the planet, the value that it adds is someone being able to explain to you, okay, well, here's what we need to, to do now to continue to get you to grow, right? Like I, I had a decent knowledge base of exercise, but I wasn't growing. I was maintaining, which was fine. But net, when I started doing stuff that I had never done before, and then, you know, they've got it set up to where it changes every few weeks, the programming changes entirely. Uh, my body is never adapting. It's never getting used to what it, what it's been doing. So it's constantly being challenged, which has only allowed my, you know, my, my, my training, my, and every, every, metric that you look at with training, whether it's aerobic capacity or strength or anything, all of that's only gone up whenever I had spent a number of years thinking I've kind of reached the peak condition that I would ever be in. Now, I'm certainly not like elite level athlete. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But for my personal baseline, which is all I care about, it's definitely gone up. So yeah, to your point, I agree 100%. Yeah. All right, Kyle. So I got a, uh, you were like one of the most kind patient people I know. And so I'm going to ask you a question where you, I'm not asking you to be unkind, but I'm asking you to like, be honest. <laughs> what are some common questions or topics that come up on the nutrition thing that like, just kind of make you shake your head or roll your eyes? Like, really? You know, because <laughs> I know that that happens, right? So what what is that that surprises you that maybe just comes up quite often and is either so misunderstood or overrated or truly not important or fill in the blank? That's a good question. I think, I think something that I, I think the most frequent thing that I see come up, even this is going to sound diplomatic to you, so I'm sorry, <laughs> but I think the thing that comes up the most is, you know, there is such a massive amount of information available on nutrition. And, you know, we joked about this before, but everybody is, is an expert, right? I mean, everyone claims to be an expert and if they have a cool logo, all of a sudden they've got validity in that space. And the reality is, is, you know, a lot of the information that they give is garbage. Um, so people come with just a tremendous amount of confusion because of the volume of information that's out there. And what frustrates me the most is not the people who have these assumptions about nutrition that are entirely wrong. It's the people disseminating or giving out that information to the masses and people buying into it, right? So it's, it's the people creating this information, you know, let's just call them some sort of a generalized nutrition coach with zero background or zero science education and, and selling people some sort of a you can only go this direction to achieve results. And so they, they come with a tremendous amount of confusion and then they question what genuine science is, right? That, that can be tremendously frustrating because that's the beauty of science, right? It's not open for discussion to what your feelings are. <laughs> it's not open to discussion of, you know, what you think, or it, it's just, it's there. So then we have to decide, based on these facts, how are we going to incorporate this into your life? Like we were joking about the pizza earlier. You can't continue to eat little Caesars, you know, an entire little Caesars every day and expect much change. That's science. 
how can you fit little Caesars in and expect change? That is possible based on what your life is and just some simple modifications. So, you know, I don't know if that answers your question directly, but I would say just a tremendous amount of confusion that people have because of the abundance of information and then them questioning, you know, sort of, is that science information true? And this, you know, I think this is sort of pro- proliferated in, in society too, right? I mean, you could use this in anything. If you've got an expert in any field who suggests that, you know, this is the way to move forward, there's, you know, society is now sort of, I'm not saying you shouldn't question things, you should, but at some point there's got to be some sort of an absolute if we want to make a recommendation on how to move forward, because obviously what's been working at this point doesn't for you. Hmm. One of the things I appreciate just watching you interact with people and answer questions and all that is you just, you truly don't like sell anything from a, you just don't buy into hype, right? So like magic foods, performance foods, blah, 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 blah. Like there's, there's so much of the nutrition world that's promising something in a product that you just personally don't really buy into. Um, so I don't want, I'm not going to ask you like, this first that or is this helpful or what have you so let me talk about that arena but in a different way do you personally take any supplements vitamins or the like and what i take take, so let me let me first go back you asked you know what's um the questions that i get that i ask like really about that is one when people you know hey can i take x y and z and improve this no, just, you know, eat simple food, hit your numbers and you can achieve all of that. Well, what about if I, no, hit your numbers and you can achieve all, you don't need any of that. I don't take anything. I take nothing. I don't take a multivitamin. I don't take creatine. I don't take BCAAs. I don't take beta alanine. I, I don't take anything. I will use protein powder in replacement of protein food. If I'm you know, on a time crunch, or if I'm somewhere where I can't refrigerate, like the back country is a great example of that. I'll typically put protein powder in my oats because I don't have the luxury of carrying around, you know, six dozen eggs for 10 days in the back country. So I will use protein powder on occasion. That's some stuff that I buy at, uh, it's just off of Amazon. I used to buy it at Walmart, but now I get bigger volumes of it. So I just buy it off of Amazon but that's the only thing that I use and I don't use that often. Dude, if I've taught you anything, it's that you better put protein in your oats. You do have probably <laughs> the best overnight oats recipe I've ever eaten in my life. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. I still eat it on the daily. I don't know how I don't get sick of it, but yeah, I would say probably 300 days a year I eat that same breakfast. Yeah, it's it's pretty good, which now, you know, you're going to have to sort of attach what the recipe is to the show notes because everybody's going to want to know what that is. And it's so silly and simple, but yeah, I will do that. Cause if yeah, that'll avoid a dozen emails. Um, <laughs> all right, man, let's, let's transition. I didn't, I genuinely didn't plan to talk nutrition related topics this long, but, uh, that was all good. Oh, stuff, I love dude. it. I love it. I love, I love the field of nutrition. And again, you know, when I was, what drove me to become a dietitian is because when I lost weight, I knew nothing about nutrition and I really wanted to know at a deep, deep level, why is, you know, why is fruits and veggies better for me than, you know, pizza and burgers all of the time. 
And uh, I, I just, I love the science behind it. I love the nerdery about it. I love teaching people about it. I love questions. So I could, I'm glad you took the deep dive. <laughs> oh, cool. One of the reasons I ended up getting you on this podcast is I got this email uh, last week, as you know, and forwarded it to you. And when I read this email, it somewhat reminded me, it had similarities to like your story, your background, your context from a hunting perspective. Um, and long story short, this guy is from the Southeast. You're originally from the Midwest, Kyle. Uh, he's moving to Idaho, not knowing anyone, which was essentially your story as well. Um, and he's looking to become a hunter in Idaho, a bow hunter and rifle hunter. He has limited hunting experience uh, from back at home, had done some small game and things like that. Um, and long story short, I'll, I'll read kind of the end of his email and a couple questions. This guy wrote and said, I'm eager to become a skilled archery and rifle hunter, but I know it is going to be a long road, excuse me, before I become the out west Stephen Ranella backcountry bushmaster I see myself being in the future. And I'm now losing the meager support structure I had at home. He's talking about other hunters and outdoorsmen. He knows. He says, I have a lot of determination to learn, but I don't know where to start. So given that context, my question is, what are your suggestions for a brand new Idaho hunter who is starting the process alone? Guided hunts, research until my eyes pop out, and then trial and error. Any suggestions or a starting point would be greatly appreciated. So he wrote all that in, and I'm not you know, I don't expect you to like give him the holy grail of answers. I just wanted you to like weigh in on what does that process looked like for you? What have you found helpful? Trial and error stories, anything that, you know, because again, there's like some, some alignment and context there of what he's going into and essentially what you have walked through over the past few years. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, any of those options he said would work as far as guided hunts or trial and error, or whatever. That's a very long path. Um, so I, what I did whenever I moved here and started getting interested in hunting, I made sure everyone knew that I was interested in it, that I knew nothing about it. And I would do, you know, whatever it took to learn. So, you know, that was just general conversations with people, asking people what they enjoy doing. And if hunting happened to come up, I would explain, you know, that I was interested in trying to learn in the hopes that <laughs> they'd say, oh, I would love to take you out sometime. And then if they, if they threw that out there, even if it was sincere or not, I would follow up with it, you know, as fall yeah. started to approach, hey, I'd love to tag along. And, um, and I, I, you know, I, I wanted them to know, like I said, that I would be doing anything that it took to learn. So, like whenever I, whenever I finally started to get invited with guys to go, I wanted to be as big of an asset as possible. So I would, I would ask number one, I would genuinely ask questions. I would genuinely be curious about the process, everything from thermals to, you know, things that, things that seem like they're stupid questions. I knew if I didn't ask, I would never learn. So is that a deer track? Is that a fox track? Is that an elk track? Is that a wild boar do we even have boars i would just ask stuff you know because i, I knew if i didn't I, I would i would always sort of be in the cloud on what was true and the other thing that i did is i never wanted to doubt or question you know a guy's particular method right because there's a number of different methods that you know you can approach certain things in hunting in in a number of different ways and all of them will work 
So I never wanted to say, you know, well, I don't know. What do you, maybe we should go up this way because, you know, this track that I can't identify seems to be going that way. <laughs> like I just trusted, you know, no matter what I saw in a documentary, no matter what I saw on Ranella's shows, I just, I never questioned that because I felt again, like I was just, I was so honored that someone would let me be a part of such what I feel like is a sacred time um, that I, I didn't want to, you know, I did, I didn't want to contradict what they were doing or seem ungrateful. And I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to be a big asset. So I would Hey, can I go fill the water jug? Can I get up early and start the coffee? You know, do you want me to go get a bunch of sticks so we can make a fire? Do you want me to pitch? The, like, I, I just wanted to do anything that I could to add value rather than be a burden to them or to sit around and pretend like I didn't care or whatever. So um, I, I think just making people aware in your interactions, it's inevitable when you get here, assuming that you're going to be working or involved in some sort of a community, you'll just begin to meet people and just let them know, ask them what they're interested in. And whenever it'll be inevitable, you're going to meet someone who says being outside hunting, fishing, blah, blah, blah let them know that you're interested um, and, and, and just coming along and seeing what that's like. And uh, another thing that I did is I tried to be involved as much as possible with local groups. So I had emailed the, um, I had emailed the local chapter of uh, Rocky Elk or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I actually emailed Corey Jacobson to find out who it was. And he graciously responded several years ago, told me who it was, put me in touch with that guy. So I had emailed him and, tried to find out if there were um, any projects going around, going on in Boise, like or around Boise, you know, fence building projects or anything, right. Anything that they're involved in. I wanted to see if I could volunteer for that. Got involved with the local chapter of the BHA and met guys through that and, you know, through hikes and uh, seeing if there were any volunteer opportunities with that as well. And just trying to partake with partake in as much of that stuff and meet as many people as possible within that circle that may have some sort of a tie that would get out and help me learn because, you know, genuinely you can go by trial and error, but I'm a firm believer with my own experience. I am forever indebted to the guys that have taken me hunting because there is so much I didn't know that I should have known that I just learned by going with them. Um, that saved me years of time. Uh, another, you know, another thing that I, I did is there is a, there is a, uh, a local elk ranch here about 45 minutes outside of Boise where they, they raise elk, they butcher them, they sell the elk meat, etc. I emailed those guys and said, Hey, can I come up whenever you butcher things and see how you process an elk, how you cut them, you know, the different cuts of meat, how, you know, what all comes off of a back, a back quarter, what all, you know, different pieces of meat can you get off of that? How do you skin one? Do you just open that thing up in the belly and just start cutting away? Like, I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything, what that looked like. And I wanted to learn. So I just started reaching out as much as, as possible. I didn't pretend to know anything because I didn't. And I asked as many questions as I possibly could. That's such a great answer. Um, coming back to it, that really quick, I didn't know about the elk ranch thing. That's amazing. Did you actually get to go do that? So it was, again, like this just shows my, my naivety, but uh, it was, I think I had emailed them late in the year after they, they had harvesting. already done. Yeah, they weren't harvesting. And so then yeah. the following year, 
I is whenever I started getting invited to go on the um, September archery elk hunts with my buddies. And so, you yeah. know, I, I wasn't around for harvest then. I got to see the real deal. So um, I ended up not going out there and just learning in the field, which I'm that, you know, that's a part that I'm still not great at. But again, you know, the guys that I go with are super patient and take time to teach me. And I still even however many years later this is, if there's something I don't know, I ask. Yeah. Yeah, I would like recap all that, not to put words in your mouth, but as I hear all that and try to summarize, I would say like you were humbly aggressive, um, aggressive. And as you said, like make the interest known, take people up on like, even if it's that passing offer of like, yeah, we should get together sometime, like follow up on that and make that happen, right? Like be aggressive in that regard, uh, be aggressive to ask questions. And, but as you said, like do that from a very humble perspective of like, I'm asking for help. So guys are so terrible at this of just pretending, right? Like pretending to know most guys don't want to admit that they don't know something, especially as it comes to, you know, something like mainly or outdoorsy, right? Like, I'm going to pretend to know what that is or what I'm doing or what have you, but it's like, not like the whole point of you supposedly being here is to learn. So don't act like, you know, just act like you need to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I agree with you a hundred percent that we're so terrified to admit that we're not an expert in something which only limits the ability to learn. And you take like, you take a field like mine with science most everything that I have learned has come out of asking a question, which then perpetuates five more questions, which only takes you deeper at how things work. Right. And so I think truly, if it's something that you want to learn about, you have to ask and you have to say, I don't know. And that's all right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's okay to, to, to not know something. And, and again, I'm going to toot your guys's horn here. That's one of the things I think guys love so much about this podcast is neither Steve or you ever presume to know everything. And you ask, you ask guests excellent questions and in, and, you know, I have, you know, I know you personally, and I know even when you're knowledgeable on the subject, you still will ask prompting questions to, you know, the, the experts or whatever that are on the show because it helps other guys learn. And I think that that's that just that sort of genuine interest and curiosity is one of the best things you can have if you're trying to learn something new. And, you know, again, you, the, the guy in the email had mentioned he'd like to be an avid rifle and bow hunter. So I had the same group of guys. It, it was the same thing. Like I didn't know how to sight in a rifle. Like, so I would ask questions about that. The same with the bow. And then I tried to do my due diligence with their time. So they took the time to show me. They took the time to set my bow up. They set the time, took the time to set my rifle up. They were inviting me on week-long hunts. And if there was a shot opportunity, I didn't want to ruin it. So in my time, I wanted to invest it, practicing to be as skilled as I possibly could to, to be able to do well when I was out there. Maybe that's not, you know, maybe I can't shoot a bullseye out, you know, with a bow at a hundred yards. But if I could be really effective at 40, I, I was very pleased with that, you know, and if, if there was an elk that was further than 40, then maybe it's someone else's shot, but I wanted to at least be able to be as effective with that as I could be within my skill set um, to be able to go out there. And again, for these guys to feel like he's worth bringing, right? Like he, he's, 
he's he's an asset he's not a liability when we're back here and you know along with that that goes with being in shape so even though i exercise regularly i when 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 summer comes i start doing more weighted pack hikes so i'm not the guy that's having to they're having to wait on you know i don't want them to ever feel like guy we you know he's he's a great guy nice guy and all but he can't hike to save his life we were constantly waiting for him so i, I think again you know sort of put yourself in the position where you are as much of an asset to the group um, as you are anything else. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Really good stuff. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about your uh, deer hunt from this past fall. You had a a tag that was a pretty good opportunity at a pretty good buck. And, you know, you and I had multiple conversations and texts and like you were kind of going I feel like you're going into that season with, uh, I don't say like mixed feelings, but for lack of better terms, mixed feelings of this hunt presented decent trophy opportunity. At the same time, you knew I'm a newer hunter. I personally am not a trophy hunter. Like, I feel like you were struggling between, should I just like, I want meat in the freezer. Should I just shoot what I can shoot when I can shoot it? Should I hold out? Cause this tag has a decent opportunity. Uh, I'll leave it at that, but like, begin to tell us about that hunt, man. Yeah, you, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with sort of a mixed bag of emotions. I have never, I mean, don't get me wrong, if there's two deer next to each other and one of them happens to have, you know, wider antlers or, or you know, they just seem overall bigger. I'm a red-blooded American and I'll probably shoot the bigger one. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I've never like that's never been the goal. The goal has always been to shoot the first legal thing that I see. And so, you know, this unit, I happened to draw it over in Idaho and it's got a pretty good reputation for holding really big deer. So I had this conundrum of, do I hold out to try to shoot something like this? Cause I'll probably never draw the tag again, or do I shoot the first legal thing that I see? So, you know, I ended up leaning more towards the first, trying to wait and just see the biggest deer, uh, shoot the biggest deer that I could, which, you know, on one hand felt really conflicting from what I normally do. On the other hand was really good because it gave me a long month that, that, that hunt is 28 something days, I think. And I went out as many of them as I could, I think I ended up like four or 16 days in the field, something like that. I'd never seen so many deer in my life. And it gave me the chance to really get a better understanding of deer behavior, how deer move, whether or not they, you know, completely blow out of a basin after you spook them, or will they be there the next day? I mean, it, it, that, that hunt taught me because I chose not to shoot, I could have shot something the first day, but because I chose not to, it gave me the opportunity to really hunt a long time and, and just get uh, a better understanding of, of how deer work, which again, going back to the original question that this, the, uh, the other guy had asked was just a huge asset in my hunting tool belt, you know, for lack of a better word. So uh, now on the, on the negative side of that, you know, driving as much as I was putting lots of time in the field and being away from my family for that many days that really started to get taxing towards the end of the hunt. And then, you know, a day before the season closed, I ended up shooting the buck that I, that I shot then. 
which was I think the second biggest deer I had seen out of all the deer that we had seen over that month. So yeah, it worked out. It was really, really gently taxing. Uh, but you know, again, you go back to like even the mental discipline of sort of the, uh, the doing the weekly workouts and a lot of times those are challenging but staying in it and committing to what's written out for me rather than saying ah four is good enough even though the program prescribes six just grinding out those last six uh, you know I, I didn't I told myself that I was going to go to the end of the season and so I did and um and inevitably it paid off but that was a probably one of the most memorable months I've had hunting since I've started hunting and, and not just because the deer that I shot, I was, I was very happy with, but uh, just the lessons learned about deer behavior and thermals and weather and what deer do whenever the weather hits, you know, we, we had planned to, to um, hunt at pretty much at the peak of this, uh, this, this unit that I was in and it got completely flooded with its snow the second week in November, I still had three weeks to hunt and no real contingency plan. So, you know, learning what deer do whenever that amount of snow hits was also, you know, there's just so many lessons I took from that. So it was a, just one of the most memorable hunts I've ever had. Yeah. I'm assuming that between the, as you said, kind of like the fatigue of the time, the time away from family, the investment of time, all that, by the end of the week, it was like probably somewhat stressful <laughs> to say the least. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I was working full time and then I would essentially hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then, you know, come home, wash my stuff, get all the food ready again. I'd work Tuesday through um, basically Friday afternoon again, and then rinse and repeat. You know, I, the, the units just, just close enough that you could drive it every day, but just far enough that the drives are really, really long (laughs) whenever you make them that often. So, yeah, you know, I think I put something like 2000 miles on my pickup over those 16 days. I don't know how many hours I was out there, but yeah, it just, it was taxing. And, you know, those are all, traditionally my weekends are set aside completely for my wife and my son. So it was a month away from them, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, I'd be a liar to say that it wasn't taxing. It was a ton of fun in the beginning, but as time grew and I started seeing fewer and fewer deer, um, it became more and more taxing. I'd actually shot at, took a shot at a really, really small lead, just, you know, just legal buck the day before the one that I killed and totally missed him, which I still don't know how I missed him, but you know, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Uh, but at that, at that point towards the end of the hunt, you know, and anything that was legal was absolutely, I was going to make an attempt at and, um, ended up working out the way that it did. That's cool, man. I'm sure we could tell stories and lessons learned and talk another hour on that, but uh, I don't want to keep you on here all day. Let's wrap up with, uh, so let me quick random questions and I don't even have these prepared. So they're literally quite random. Uh, <laughs> favorite backcountry snack. Oh, that's a good one. Probably. Oh, I got two. So probably either. Uh, uh, so I make, I make my own trail mix, which is a blend of, you know, different dehydrated fruits, nuts, 
couple salty snacks, but I also throw chocolate covered espresso beans in there. I love that's it's I eat that every afternoon and I look forward to it from the point I wake up. <laughs> uh, the other one would be a combination of nuts, sugary cereal, and dehydrated fruit that I dehydrate at home. So I eat that typically in the mornings. Um, after we've been hunting for a little bit, I love that stuff. The guys that I hunt with, uh, Wayne Hunter and a few other guys, they laugh hysterically because they say the reason we're not seeing elk is they can hear the crunch of my cereal, but, uh, <laughs> I love that snack. And I, I was going to ask, what's one of the sugary cereals you put in there? Uh, golden grams. I like golden grams or cinnamon life or, um, oh, what's the other one that I take? Um, uh, honey or not honey, but cinnamon. Quaker cinnamon oat squares, right? And so sort of a nutrition nugget for people. Those are high in iron. It's about one of the easiest ways to keep your iron up in the backcountry, which of course iron is um, crucial for oxygen transport whenever you're in high altitude. So I like high iron cereal too. Nice. Yeah, I did something similar. I think it was on the 2018 death hike when we did the 100 milers. I did dehydrated bananas with cinnamon and then mix that with golden grams and some nuts and that's delicious. That's exactly what I take. I, I mean, I've tried different fruits, but I always go back to bananas and I love them. Yeah, cool. All right. What is, I know it's, guys probably just got an idea of you do a lot of your own, right? So like your own food and you don't, as I said before, you don't buy into like the, the products and the hype and all that stuff of performance foods. But if you had to pick like one prepackaged performancey type food, what is it going to be? man that's a good one um performance wise probably some kind of a powdered um carb electrolyte replacement mix so you know on the more expensive side something like tailwind on the less expensive side just plain old gatorade um i love it's super refreshing after i get tired of drinking water all day or you've been hiking especially like in early september or late august I love just being able to have something that I mix besides the water on the pure taste side of things. Oof, that's a tough one. I'm leaning towards, um, the RX bars. They make a sea salt, dark chocolate, almond. sea salt with almond. That's it. That's there the it is. One, dude. Yep. So yep. good. So I love, um, I love, I typically have one of those in my pack too as well. I, I love sort of that salty, sweet mix. Um, so I take, I take a few of those too. Yeah. That's funny, dude. That's one of my go-tos. All right. So favorite uh, meal, favorite wild game meal that you've personally prepared. Oh boy. That's a good one too. I mean, I love just a good old burger. Um, but on the more fancy side of things, probably venison asabuco, which sounds really complex, but is very easy to pull off if you've got some time. What's the quick and dirty on it? So it's uh, essentially long cooking time and some sort of a covered dish. It's a combination of different vegetables, a little bit of tomato, and some sort of a liquid in there. It's kind of an Italian dish. And if you really want to get fancy, you can have it with polenta, uh, which is kind of a cornmeal mush that's been refrigerated and pan fried. And so you take this, you take this warm sort of stew like mixture and you pour it over this semi crusted 
cornmeal type of a pancake. <laughs> oh, you can't, you can't beat it, man. It's so good. And, and one of the, you know, one of the things that I love the most about it is it's off of that lower sort of lower shank of the animal. So it's a piece that, you know, normally winds up in the grind pile, but I've taken to just, uh, you know, I love one of the things I love about hunting is bringing it all home and butchering it myself. I love that process of butchering and packaging. And so you just, you know, take like your, your standard saw and you can cut sort of sort of circular medallion type of things off of that lower shank and just throw them in this pot with all this, this, this mixture, let them simmer for several hours. And that stuff just falls off the bone melts in your mouth. It's delicious. Nice. Uh, your favorite or most rewarding aspect of helping people with nutrition. Oh man. I think you know, I, you, you commented on this earlier. I feel like I'm tooting my own horn. I'm certainly not because it's the people doing the work. But when people complete the program or they've made some progress and decide to go on their own, it's the comments of how much it's changed their life. And it's, you know, it's typically not me that has changed their life. Like, it's not like I've some sort of somehow impacted their personality or whatever. It's that Again, we spend a ton of time talking about how nutrition works in the program. So it sort of is just this clarity on how nutrition works and how they can genuinely weave in stuff that they enjoy and still see progress, which obviously just opens up the doors of life for everything from social settings to travel, et cetera. But I think that that, that genuinely has an impact on people that they don't have, they see that they don't have to commit to this life of restriction and making progress or commit to zero progress on their goals and complete flexibility in their diet. They see, they finally see that they can have both of them. I like it. All right, man, Kyle's been good. Um, for anyone who may want to follow you, check out your stuff. I would say, you know, if you're not interested period in working with Kyle, I'd not throw it out there because of that. I know you'd be happy to help people. I just say it because you put out good free information uh, and I didn't even throw this out there. I probably should have up front. When we had you on the podcast originally, you uh, very kind and gave us a free like nutrition and planning guide, and that is still available. Uh, so if you go to exomountaingear.com forward slash nutrition, you can download a bunch of resources, planning guides for hunts, things like that. That's all there and free. Um, but that made me think of the fact that you just give away a lot of good free information, period. So if people want to follow you on social, get your email newsletter, things like that. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. So everything's under V2P nutrition and that two is, is the number. So it's V number two P nutrition. That's the website. That's the Instagram. That's all of that stuff. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you have no interest or no intention of, you know, signing up for something or whatever, it would be, I'd be happy to answer questions or, you know, just have you jump on one of those and, and take a look at what's on there. There's so much free stuff <laughs> that if a guy was willing to sort through it all, he could easily build a plan for himself that made him pretty successful. But yeah, I'd be happy to, to chat with anybody. Well, there you have it, guys. Don't forget to check out more of Kyle's resources with the Valley to Peak Nutrition. And if you want to download the free meal planning guide for your next hunts, just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash nutrition, and we'll get that sent over to you at no charge. As always, thank you for tuning in. If you have anything for us, just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. 
And if you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.